This podcast deals with sensitive topics and uses explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. This is the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. We're continuing with part three of our series on Jewish law and sexuality as I speak again with Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro, author of Halachic Positions, What Judaism Really Says About Passion in the Marital Bed. In this third part of the series, we'll be speaking about several topics, including looking at the Talmudic texts dealing with things like anal and oral intercourse. To address the question specifically of the Shalai and together with that, the question of what's called Derech which is outer course, which can also be said to include a wife stimulating her husband orally or manually. That is also discussed, the Rambam permits it, in Parish Mishnayis and in Mishnah Torah, and many other Rishonim permit it. The question is, is it permitted even to the point of the husband's climax? Or does he need to be inside the wife at the point of climax? And for that, we need to look at one other Gemara just to get uh, a little bit of context, and that's the Gemara in Yavamis. Now, when you look at Yavamis Lamadalad on the base, Yavamis over there is addressing the question of when a mother is nursing. It says that for the first 24 months that she has a, a, a baby and is nursing the baby, the husband during intimacy should pull out to climax, coitus interruptus. The reason for that is that if he impregnates the wife again and she becomes pregnant, it could disturb the milk flow and then put the baby at risk. Obviously, we're talking about a time when they didn't have formula and you're not necessarily going to rely on a wet nurse. So the Gemara there says, uh, how could this be? Okay, this is nothing other than the sin of Aaron Without getting into the whole story, but there's a biblical story of the sons of Yehuda. Yehuda was the son of Yaakov, and he married off Er to a woman, Tamar. It says that Er did what was evil in God's eyes, and God basically took his life. And it says that Yehuda gave Tamar to Ainan in order to have a child to continue Er's name in the concept of Yibum. And it says that Ainan did not want to have a child that he knew uh, would not be considered his in the eyes of the community. And whenever he came to his wife, he would pull out and climax onto the ground. And this is the concept of destruction of seed, which maybe we can talk about in another discussion because the book goes into that. It's a very important discussion to be had. But as it relates to marital intimacy, the Gemara basically says if you were to tell a husband to pull out of the wife while her she's nursing, he's basically doing what Ainan did. And it says that God killed Ainan for that. And again, without getting into the context of Ainan, because there were many other factors in that story, the Gemara asks this question. Even though the most obvious problem is that that is talking about, according to Simple Pshat, and I realize that Torah Shemal saying to say about this, but according to the Simple Pshat, the issue of spilling seed is actually secondary to the fact that he wouldn't do chesed to his brother. He refused to have his child, essentially. Correct. He wouldn't do chesed to his brother. The whole point of Yibam is to have a child. Otherwise, you're not allowed to marry your sister-in-law. And the fact that he didn't, you know, this is something that's brought out by Rabbi uh, David Feldman in his book, Birth Control and Jewish Law, makes the point. There's a lot to discuss about that, and maybe we can discuss that if we do another talk about that specific topic. But the Gemara says that how could, it was Rabbi Elezer on Yavamis that says that this is a husband should pull out. He says, how could you tell a person to pull out if that's what Oyinan did and he was killed? So the Gemara responds saying that this that Rabbi Elezer is telling a husband to do, it resembles what Aaron Onan did, but it's not exactly what Aaron Onan did, because according to the Gemara, Aaron Onan performed Shalei Kedarka, performed anal intercourse with Tamar, and that was their sin, not that they pulled out and destroyed their seed on the ground through coitus interruptus. So now the question becomes, 
you have a stira between Nadarim, according to those Rishonim who say that Nadarim is coming to permit Shalaika Darka between husband and wife, and Yivam Islam Adalan which clearly says that the sin of Aaron Ainan, for which they were killed, was Shalaika Darka with their wife. And for our listeners who don't know Hebrew, stira is a contradiction. Thank you. <laughs> so the Rishonim address this question, the medieval commentaries address this question. First and foremost among them is uh, Rabbeinu Yitzchak, who's brought in Tosfus on Lamadawad Amid Beis, who was a contemporary of the Rambam and the Ravid. And his answer is one of two approaches. One approach is that Nedarim was coming to permit anal intercourse without the husband reaching climax, unless he would switch. Nowadays we would know there would have to be some cleansing in between, but unless he would switch to be normal intercourse in between. Whereas Aaron Onan, their sin was that they performed anal intercourse even to the point of climax. The second approach is that the sin of Aaron Onan was that they performed anal intercourse to the point of climax constantly as an intentional form of unsanctioned birth control. In other words, they did not want to have children. The understanding is this was perpetual. They never wanted to have children. Whereas Nadarim is coming to permit when the Chachamim said, Kol whatever husband and wife want to do, they can do. It was coming to permit anal intercourse, even to the point of the husband's climax, from time to time, occasionally, or in the wording of most of the Shonim, which is, could be translated as randomly, in the heat of passion, if the husband and wife have a taiva, have a desire, and this will fulfill their sexual fulfillment, fulfillment, to have anal intercourse, even to the point of the husband's climax, it's permitted. If it's from time to time, like I said, randomly, and it's not specifically for the sake of unsanctioned birth control. And indeed, this is what the Ramah Paskins in Ebenezer Simon Cafe, as we mentioned earlier, as long as it's Bakrai, if it's not the normal way of their having intercourse, he allows such a thing. You're exactly right that the Ramah in Ebenezer Simon Cafe, Paskins, like the second approach of Rabbeinu Yitzchak and Tosis, if you look in most Rishonim who address this question, most Rishonim also paskin like this second approach. And therefore, most Rishonim paskin that when it comes to anal intercourse between husband and wife, it's permitted even to the point of the husband's climax if it's done occasionally for the sake of sexual fulfillment, just not if it's done constantly as an intentional form of unsanctioned birth control. So when you look at the fact that that's what most Rishonim hold in that case, when you look at the fact that most Rishonim paskin like the Chachamim in regards to the other four behaviors that Rabbi Yochanan and Dahavai cautioned against, again, overturning the table, gazing, kissing, and talking, what you basically have is that most Rishonim and Paskin, that all these things are permitted. Now, against the Ravid, who basically came and gave a complete reinterpretation of Nadarim, which one could argue is very forced, it's certainly not clear in the Gemara like that, and in the book I have a whole chapter addressing how the other Rishonim perhaps would have responded to the Ravid's arguments. But then a key question becomes the Rambam. Now the Rambam in Parish Mishnayis, like I mentioned before, he has a whole section discussing what's allowed between husband and wife, and he clearly says we paskin like the Chachamim in regards to the four things that are discussed on the Dharam. And then he discusses also, he mentions a woman on top being allowed, and he mentions Shalei Kedarka, anal intercourse, and Derech outer course, which would include wife to husband, oral sex, or manual stimulation. And he says these are permitted. Now, the Rambam in Parish Mishnayis does not mention any caution against wasting seed if the climax happens. It doesn't even come up. It doesn't even come up. The question becomes in Mishnah Torah, Sefer Kedusha Yisur Rabiyah, Parak Chaf Aleph, There, the Rambam 
is the again the most famous codification of these laws, which is repeated in many of the Rishonim, where he says a, a husband can perform kedarka or shalei kedarka or derech evarim with his wife, and then it ends with a clause, a caveat, as long as no seed is wasted in vain. Now that would seem to imply that the Rambam was following the first approach of Rabbeinu Yitzchak. That anal penetration is permissible. Paskening like the Chachamim in the four matters, but in terms of anal intercourse, paskening like the first opinion of Rabbeinu Yitzchak. Correct. What I was surprised to discover in researching this, and I think where I first saw it was in a tshuva of Rabbi Yehuda Henkin, a Paisik in Eretz Yisrael, very big Talmud Chacham, in uh, his Shailos and Tshuvas B'nai Banim's Chelot Dalid, in uh, Simen, I believe it's Simen Yud Ches, he discusses um, the laws of Shalik Adarka and Derech and he discusses there that most early manuscripts of the Mishnah Torah, including the Yemenite manuscripts, do not have this caveat at the end that says, Wow, that's very interesting. In other words, the Rambam Paskins, just like in Parish Mishnayis, he Paskins, you can do Kedarka, Shalei Kedarka, Derech full stop. He says the same thing in Mishnah Torah. Kedarka, Shalei Kedarka, Derech full stop. Now, the implication of that would imply that the Rambam held like the second approach of Rabbeinu Yitzchak, that Shalei Kedarka and possibly even Derech it would imply, are both permitted even to the point of the husband's climax. If it's done for occasional, at least, the Rambam doesn't say it, but it would imply at least for if it's done for occasional fulfillment within marriage. This is very important because a lot of people base, you know, even among the Rishonim, they, you find many people repeating the approach of the Rambam and adding in this caveat, and if they had had the Yemenite version, or they had known that most manuscripts appear to be more lenient, and certainly among the Achreinim, a lot of the later commentaries and later halachic uh, authorities were using, at least in our day, were using printed Mishnah Torahs that were all perpetuating one version, which seems to be the one that's more questionable. We have to, in a sense, reevaluate all the opinions that were based off of that version of the Rambam. This is the greater context to then approach, how do we end up with Simon Reish, Mem, and the Shulchan Aruch? So, when you look at the expanse of the Rishonim, basically what you need to look then at is the Tor. And the Tor brings the version of the Rambam, which is more stringent, that says you can't waste seed. In other words, even if there were a textual emendation that was not in the original Rambam, it's very, very early that it was already added in. This is not a recent phenomenon. The Tor had it Correct. itself. Right. You already find among the Rishonim people quoting the Rambam as being the restrictive uh, sense. Uh, so it definitely was an early textual variation. The Tor basically quotes the Rambam, also quotes Rabbeinu Yitzchak, and also quotes the Ravid. What you have in, in Reish Mem, basically it quotes uh, the Ravid, uh, the Ravid's opinion, and quotes Rabbeinu Yitzchak. It doesn't mention the Rambam. In Simen Chafhei, it quotes the Rambam, then it quotes Rabbeinu Yitzchak, the second approach of Rabbeinu Yitzchak, which is more permissive than the restrictive version of the Rambam. And then after discussing those, it, the Rambam and, the, and Rabbeinu Yitzchak then the Torah kind of goes into a whole discussion about Kedusha being Makadesh, the, the act of intimacy. And then at the end, he brings down the opinion of the Ravid. So it's debated, how did the Torah actually paskin? In, in Reish Mem, he brings the Ravid's opinion first, which where the Ravid actually, in Bali and Nefesh, the Ravid interprets the Hafiha Shulchan as referring to rear-entry vaginal intercourse. As we know, Rabbi Yitzchak interprets it as referring to anal intercourse. So in Reish Mem, it first brings the Ravid, interpreting it as rear-entry vaginal, and then it brings Rabbeinu Yitzchak, interpreting it as anal intercourse. In Simen Chafhei, in Eben Ezer, it first brings the Rambam and Rabbeinu Yitzchak, and then it brings the Ravid much later. So some people argue that the Torah paskined like the Ravid, 
because in, in Evan Ezer, it brings the Rivet last. The problem with that is that in Orachayim, it brings Rabbeinu Yitzchak after the Rivet. So you, it's really hard to prove. According to Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, he says clearly that the Torah paskened like Rabbeinu Yitzchak. The lenient Rabbeinu Yitzchak. The lenient Rabbeinu Yitzchak, yeah. So without getting into all the, again, with all the complexities, the book goes into it. But the point is that the Torah brings all these opinions and does not clearly paskin. So what you then have is that later poskim kind of deciding how they feel the Torah paskin. Some don't necessarily say that the Torah paskin clearly either way. Well, what's interesting about that, if I can interject, an interesting element of that is the fact that the Ravid, who, as you said, stood alone, really having a unique interpretation that was not shared by almost any other Rishonim, by virtue of the fact that the Torah brought the Ravid, he took something which was a Das Yachid, essentially a unique and not practical opinion, and brought it into the Halakha conversation, making him one of three or two or three primary opinions that can change the nature of halacha, even though we don't know what that Torah meant. But by bringing it in, it suddenly gave it additional prominence that perhaps it would not have had had he not have put it there. I don't know if you would agree with that, and I don't know if I agree with that. I'm simply saying that on an historical level, that might be part of what's happening here. Exactly. I think, yeah, we touch upon that as well, that that kind of put it at the center of the halachic discussion because the Torah became a very important, successful work. Again, it is possible that there were other works that haven't come down to us that discuss the Ravid. One safer that does discuss the Ravid is the Menar Samar of Israel al Nakwa, the Menar Samar of But he actually doesn't paskin, in a sense, like the Ravid, because when he quotes the opinion of the Chachamim, the Chacham Nadarim, he specifically mentions that the Chachamim were permitting Nishika Sa'ever, kissing, uh, which the Ravid clearly doesn't, at least not in Bali Nefesh. I would also add, by the way, something that's very interesting, which I only found one Achran that raises part of this issue, and that is that the Ravid is known to be the main annotator on the Rambam's Mishnah Torah, and whenever he argues with the Rambam, sometimes he's very sharp with the Rambam. On these halachas, where the Rambam says a husband is allowed to kiss and allowed to do anal intercourse, which the Ravid in Balei Nefesh seems to imply you're not allowed to do, he, he interprets, like I said, Ficha Shulchan as rear-entry vaginal intercourse. On this halacha of the Rambam, the Ravid doesn't argue. There could be reasons for that. For instance, in regard to Shalokadarka, the Gemara in Sanhedrin and Chesam and Beis clearly says it's permitted. So in a sense, the Ravid may have been forced to say that the bottom line halacha is that it's okay. When it comes to kissing, though, the only Gemara that discusses the permission of it is Nadarim. And the fact that the Ravid is silent on the Mishnah Torah implies that perhaps the Ravid maybe felt that at the end of the day, really, it is permitted. But in Bali Nefesh, he may have been discussing a little bit more of a Kedusha concept and, and stretching the meaning of Isser. In the book, we, I bring certain references where sometimes the term Usser doesn't mean an actual prohibition in rabbinic literature. So this is something to consider. Okay, with that in mind, let's bring it back to my original question about Rav Yosef Karo adopting the Rivas approach such that it became the dominant paradigm. Okay, so in regard to um, why Rav Yosef Karo only seems to have brought the Rivid in Reish Mem, in regard to kissing and gazing and talking, it's not clear to me why he didn't bring other opinions, you know, or why he poskin that way. You know, he, he obviously poskin that way, and he has a right to poskin how he feels appropriate. Again, he may have assumed that people would go back to the tour and the Beis Yosef to see what the other opinions were, but his opinion obviously was like the Ravid in this case. The Ramah's opinion obviously was not. The Ramah poskin like the Rambam and the majority of Rishonim. And again, the problem is that most people don't know that the Ramah exists, or I wouldn't say most, people that I've met, most of them don't know. I think most is a fair statement, but admittedly that's the opinion. The question is also why in many of the halachic guides that are out there, they don't mention the Ramah and Ebenezer. There's many books that are 
even written by Talmud Chachamim, that they only put forth Reish Mem and Arachayim, and uh, that I believe is, uh, you know, can be very harmful. And I, I'm not, you know, judging these people in terms of their intentions. Maybe they had good intentions. Maybe that's how they were guided. But at the end of the day, I'm concerned about couples suffering, and ultimately what that leads to in terms of the entire family. Thank you for joining us for part three of our series on Jewish law and sexuality on the Orthodox Conundrum. Join me and Rabbi Shapiro next week for the fourth part of our series. Rabbi Shapiro's book, Halachic Positions, What Judaism Really Says About Passion in the Marital Bed, is available on Amazon. You're listening to JewishCoffeeHouse.com.